It is a real privilege for me to be uh, back with you this morning. I, um, I thought I would share a little bit about my own personal story. Um, we are concluding today a sermon series on faith at the movies, and we're using one of the great films of, uh, of our time, The King's Speech. If you haven't seen it yet, I highly commend it to you. And in each week during this series, we have been lifting up the core values of Hyde Park, and today we're focusing on the mission statement of the church, making God's love real. Uh, as I told you last week, I grew up in this community. I come from a family which has deep roots in Tampa. My great-grandfather was the postmaster of the city, and his brother was the mayor, and I wasn't allowed to say this as a child, but their first cousin was the head of the gambling syndicate in Ybor City, uh, Charlie Wall. Uh, Charlie's death for many years was one of the unsolved murders here in, uh, in, in Tampa. Uh, but I grew up in a respectable family. I went to great schools. I, I had a supportive community and a loving church that surrounded me. But I also had a problem. I didn't enunciate my words very clearly. I had a nasal quality to my speech and oftentimes children and sometimes even adults would ask me to repeat myself uh, because they didn't understand what I said. I, I had a, a cleft lip and palate, sometimes called a hair lip. And um, I remember uh, when I was a teenager, sometimes crying into my pillow at night and asking why? Why me? Why did I have to deal with this? So if you're sitting here in the sanctuary this morning and you are finding yourself facing some difficulty in your own life, you're facing pain and hardship and frustration, and you find yourself asking that same question, why? I want you to know that you are not alone. Lots of people have to ask themselves that same question. I also want you to know that you may be down, but you have not been knocked out because this moment in your life is not the end of the story. At least that's not been my experience. Jesus, as he is going through the region of Tyre and Sidon, comes upon a man who cannot hear and has an impediment in his speech. The crowd had heard the reputation of Jesus, of who he was, and so they beg him to come and, and to heal this man. Give us one of your miracles. But Jesus doesn't want to create some firework, some spectacle, and so he takes the man aside privately and he sticks his fingers in his ears and he spits and he touches hold of his tongue and he says just one word in Aramaic, Ephatha, which means nothing more than be open and instantaneously the man can hear and can speak plainly. Recently a movie did come, 2010, that deals with speech called The King's Speech. It stars Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush. It won universal critical acclaim. It won four Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Original Screenplay. It is the story of the 
of Prince Albert, the Duke of York, and his reluctant ascension to the throne and eventual coronation is King George VI of England. On Wednesday night over at the Magnolia Building, uh, we were uh, blessed at the beginning of the movie to have a British military officer who happens to be here in town share with us a little of the historical setting of that movie. And um, it was interesting because one of the things he shared with us, and you probably noticed this if you watched the movie, is that one of the young girls in the movie is the current reigning Queen Elizabeth because King George VI was her father. The, the plot line of the movie uh, deals with the king's speech, his literal speech, for in short, he stutters. Take a listen. You know, stammering over your every word can be frustrating and embarrassing under the most ordinary of circumstances. But for a monarch whose country is on the verge of war and whose very words and leadership are thus needed to inspire a nation, stammering is a curse of biblical proportions. Before his coronation, Prince Albert, played by Colin Firth, hires a speech therapist to help him work with his impediment. The speech therapist, played by Jeffrey Rush, has an unusual method for dealing with the impediment because he not only deals with the mechanics of speech, but also deals with the impediment that arise from deep within. Now, I don't want to spoil any any major plot development uh, of this movie, but there is a telling scene in which uh, Prince Albert is visiting with Lionel Logue in his office, and uh, Mr. Logue asks him to read Shakespeare's soliloquy, to be or not to be, while also donning a pair of headphones. Take a look. Pop these on. There's a bob in this vape. You could go home, Rich. You're playing music. I know. So how can I hear what I'm saying? Well, surely a prince's brain knows in its mouth, doing. You're not well acquainted with other princes, are you?
Believing that he has made a complete mess of it, he storms out of Mr. Logue's office. But before he leaves the office, he, Lionel hands him a phonographic disc on which has been etched his reading of the soliloquy, to be or not to be. And a couple of days later, he finally gets around to listening to the recording. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them, to die, to sleep. No more. You see, his voice was inside of him all along. Mr. Logue was just wise enough to realize that what he needed to find a way to do was to open him up and set that voice free. I believe that part of the healing that happens for all of us is the gift of God giving us one another. Surrounding me as I was growing up was a cast of characters that helped make God's love real to me. One of those was Frances Blake. She was my junior high Sunday school teacher. She had a remarkable ability to, to look into the eyes of every single child sitting in her Sunday school classroom and, and act like she was giving the whole lesson right to them. I still remember that um, Francis knew that I suffered from a low self-image and knew that I struggled a little bit. And at one particularly difficult time in my, in my youth, I remember Francis weaving into one of her Sunday school lessons the story about Moses protesting that he could not be a spokesperson for God because he was slow of speech. And Francis, while saying that, looked over and she winked at me as though she and I had some special bond, which we did, <laughs> as though she was letting me in on a secret, which she was. You see, the secret that Francis was letting me in on is that God uses all of us, that God uses everybody. God even uses what we see as our limitations. Francis and she insisted that we call her Frances long before it was fashionable to call an older woman by her first name. Frances ministered God's love and healing and redemption in my own life in ways that I'm sure she never knew. Another one of the characters I uh, was Paul Hartsfield. Paul's son, Philip, is is here today. He was in the youth group with me 
but I remember that Paul took me into his office in downtown Tampa, an office, incidentally, I sat with Justin in that office this week. Justin uh, is leading the downtown initiative of this congregation. And if you have not yet learned what's happening down at the downtown property on Florida Avenue, I would encourage you at the very least to get become familiar with what this church is doing, helping to minister out of that property. And maybe, maybe God might be nudging you to join Justin and the other leaders and helping make that ministry happen. But back to my, my pastor, Paul Hartsfield. He was, he was my favorite pastor growing up. And one of the things that Paul said to me one day, he had a remarkable ability. He'd get really close to you. He'd look you right in the eye and he would say, he said to me one day, he said, Clark, you, you know what your limitations are. You're a lucky young man. He said, you know, throughout the Bible, you, we oftentimes think that all the biblical characters are these super models of faith, but the reality is, and you'll learn a lot more about this during the sermon series about David, but all of the characters had some limitation, had something they had to deal with, he pulled out 2 Corinthians and he read to me that passage where, where Paul goes to God three times and asks him to alleviate some unknown thorn in his flesh. But God didn't do it. Instead, Paul writes that in essence God said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul was trying to help me learn the art of how to deal with what I perceived was a weakness in my own life. I am forever grateful for that because Paul, you see, he looked at me and he said, you are a precious child of God, so stop acting like you're not. You young man, you know what your weakness is. There are people that go their entire lives and never ever find out the limitation that they need to deal with, but you know what yours is. So learn from this and grow from this and, and allow God's healing love to shine through your life. Now, I was surrounded by a large cast of characters that included speech therapists and surgeons. I had 14 surgeries as I was growing up. But I need to tell you that making God's love real is not always about sweetness and light. Sometimes it's really about truth-telling, about speaking the truth, the unvarnished truth with love to other people. Sometimes helping them hear exactly what it is they need to hear. A little bit like Lionel does in this movie with Prince Albert where he doesn't just coddle him, but he actually speaks the word that Lionel needs to hear. What are you doing? Get up! You can't sit there! Get up! Why not? It's a chair. No, it, that is not a chair. That is... That, that is St. Edward's chair. People have that carved their names on it. chair is the seat on which every king is held and queen... by a large rock. That is the stone of Scone. You are, are trivializing oh, you everything. You trivialize... I don't care how many royal assholes have sat Listen to me! Listen to me. Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? By divine right, if you must. I am your king. No, you're not. You told me so yourself. You said you didn't want it. 
Why should I waste my time listening? Because I have a right to be. I have a voice. Like Paul Hartsfield, who who challenged me to hear what I needed to hear. Mr. Logue challenges the soon-to-be King of England to hear what it was that he needed to hear. You know, you grow up as a child different from other children, and you can't help but wonder why some children treated me as meanly as they did. It was hard for me to figure out as an innocent child like I was. And at the same time, my mom and dad, they told me, you, you don't be cruel like they are cruel. Because if you do, you will self-destruct. It was my parents' faith, you see, that helped me transcend the brutality and see the real beauty and the difficulty that I had to face. It was my parents and my grandparents' faith who witnessed to me that I was loved by God, that I was not some genetic flaw, that I was not some mistake, that God was going to use me someday. Over and over again throughout the Gospels, we see the healing that doesn't just bring speech or sight or stop the bleeding, but we see the healing that comes from encountering Christ along the way. I came to realize, friends, that the only deformity that I really had to deal with was the one between my two ears. One that, where I was listening way too much to that voice that said I was less than who God had made me to be. But you know, this isn't just a personal issue. I think before I end this sermon, I need to at least acknowledge that this can be a systemic issue as well. In 1968, in the March on Washington, in another king's speech, Martin Luther King Jr. implored the thousands who were gathered in the mall there to find their voice, to loosen their tongues, to speak out against injustice and oppression, he begged those gathered there not to be silent, but to cry out so that fairness and equality would not just be enshrined in the documents of our nation, but would be lived out in the sisterhood and the brotherhood of all God's children living side by side. In the spittle of his articulated speech was a calling for the healing of a nation to no longer keep silent about things that matter, mattered, but to rise up and speak plainly. It was as if Martin King was saying, Ephatha, open up, O nation, and let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Friends, it was my church, it was my community of faith who made God's love real to me. It was the saliva of their love that loosened my tongue. They reminded me that God doesn't make junk. They would remind me that I was loved. You are special and you have something to say. Ephatha, 
Clark, open up and let God's healing shine through your life. And honestly, friends, I have no idea how I made it from a boy who had a challenge in his speech to a man who chose proclamation as a part of his profession. Except, except by God's grace and healing and love ministered to me by a community that surrounded me with compassion and caring and prayer. So friends, open up. Open up your heart and your life and let Christ's redeeming love touch those places in your life that need healing. That you might open up and let God's love permeate even that crusty, cantankerous soul and heart of yours. <laughs> Open up. Because, friends, you have a mission. And that mission is to make God's love real. Will you pray with me? Oh, holy God, we are so grateful for that amazing gift of your love that enters into our very souls and helps open us up to the fullness of your grace. And so, God, for those gathered in the room right now who are struggling with some particular issue, bring healing to that place of brokenness. And for all of us, God, open us up that we may be agents of your transforming grace in a hurting world. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.